How good is data? Numbers, stats, financials, the great equaliser, objective measures, and factual evidence. And in healthcare, we talk about the role of data a lot too, but healthcare, it's not clean, not down the line and black and white. It's complicated and messy and vague and bespoke. So it's no wonder when we talk about healthcare data, we're trying to get objective measures around something that's subjective and fluffy and involving humans who by very nature are sometimes emotional and unpredictable and irrational. Someone who's deep in the weeds of all of this, but also had the time and space to think strategically about it is Dr. David Quigley. And in this episode, we're talking about the role of data in healthcare, the joys of activity-based funding, and how maybe we can make healthcare data just a little bit more human again. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. David Quigley. He's an experienced clinician who, after 14 years, left his role as an ICU doctor to provide clinical insights to those creating technology and then later to create MedMin. Hey, David, how are you? I'm good, Peter. Great to hear your lovely work. And I love the intro, deep in the weeds. Hadn't really thought of it like that, but you're so, so right. And, well, I look at, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes, what what's the saying when you you can't read the label from inside the bottle, but you've been inside the bottle, outside the bottle, and everything in between. So yeah, how far we can take that metaphor. Yeah, but, no, um, I've been very fortunate in my career in healthcare, you know, many years in clinical work and predominantly in ICU and anaesthesia. And you know, I've gone from you know, district generals in South London to doing aeromedical medical transport out of Alice Springs up to Darwin and uh, down to Adelaide. So really had some phenomenal experiences and it's just nice to have that experience and that background to put it into a, a different area, really. Yeah. Well, let's step it back one. For, for people who don't know David, tell us a bit more about that then. You just gave us a high level overview, a bit about your background and what you do. So background, yeah. So well, experienced clinician, many years in clinical practice, general practice, acute care, primary care, anesthesia, ICU. And back around the turn of the century, we started a family. I decided that shift work and nights just weren't right for me. And I was looking for other options. I resigned my job and somebody said, hey, we've got this activity-based funding thing. Can you help us with it? And I thought, oh yeah, look, I'll do that while I find something better. <laughs> and here I am 20 years later, still <laughs> embedded. And, and what the problem there was that the funding system, we, know, we used to have blocks funding or fee-for-service funding in the health service, and they changed it to linking funding to detailed clinical information. And the idea there is to, you're giving a financial incentive to capture good information because better information leads to better healthcare. And it's really important. So we started working in the area and early on we were working with the clinical coders, health information managers at a large private hospital. And we were able to help and the coders loved having a doctor to work with them. And I really enjoyed working with them too. We learned from each other. Uh, they taught me about the Australian uh, coding standards and uh, you know, I was able to give them some insights into medicine and, and what sort of things they were captur- weren't capturing that might be useful, both from a quality assurance and from a, a funding perspective. I find that even now whenever I go into a, a new hospital, uh, we, we might do a, an information and funding audit. And when I walk into the coders to give them the feedback, and by that time, I like to think they realise I'm not one of these nasty people who pulls them apart. I come in and say, look, here's some insights. First of all, I have to congratulate the coders because they do an awful lot of work and they're often 
not thanked for it, but they are providing most of the information and the funding and great insights into healthcare and keeping those the doors open. So I'll go in and usually really happy to see a clinician and we can explain things that they don't understand. Uh, and also they can explain to us things that, that we've missed. So it's a, it's a learning experience. It's a collaboration. And, and it's the collaborative part I, I really enjoy. I must say, I went when you were talking, my, my brain instantly goes to when I think of coding, I think of the technical and development side. And I realized, as I said, that obviously the, the clinical coders within the hospital that are coding and the importance of the, the clinician insight there, that's yeah, such an important role. Yeah. And, it is, and I think the, the clinical coders quite often they come from an administrative background. There's mm. more, there's a few nurses that are going into clinical coding and uh, I just had a, a message from a, a good friend who got into clinical coding recently having been a you know she's quite a senior RN and she said look I'm really enjoying the day job I'm enjoying the work but hey the pay cut's not good so and uh, hopefully she'll stay in that area though because the more clinical input you get into capturing that data the richer data you're going to get the more accurate it's going to be the more meaningful it'll be uh, and then that'll drive better healthcare. and with the added bonus that y- you will get that funding boost yeah yeah okay and so you were doing that so so what are you doing now Oh, there's a few things. So when we got involved in the activity-based funding, I pretty soon realised there was a huge opportunity here for me and for the hospitals. So started a company, Medmin, was working with the hospitals, we're helping with their information, helping with their funding. And we found that we were closing the gap in the information, which was great. But early on, we weren't making them that much money and it was odd. And so I thought the business was going to collapse. And I said, well, can I have a look at the health fund contracts? And I had a look at the health fund contracts, related that to my clinical knowledge. I thought, hang on, there's the gaps. I can see that because there's some very complex maths around not only, first of all, you've got information that comes from the clinical record, goes into clinical codes, goes through a grouper, and then that goes on to a health fund contract. And those contracts have other data elements that you need to bring in and you need to process. So I just went a bit silly on it, locked myself in a room for a few months, wrote some algorithms, and I was really lucky. There's a lovely um, crew I was working with at the time, and a lady called Narelle who applied the logic, the algorithms that I built, applied them manually to the letter, uh, and we realized that by targeting our audits, not only were we getting the clinical information capture that we needed to, we were then starting to make the hospital some real dollars. And then the natural thing to go from there was to put in a proposal to say, hey, we need to digitalize this, put this in the hospital computer system. There's a proper word for that that it's escaped me. It's something to do with business and computers. Anyway, we put it in a business enterprise <laughs> system. So they were yeah, using SAP at the time. And we, we put in a proposal, we built a system in there, and we went from making that hospital just a few thousand a month to when we finished with them, oh, it was about nine years later, we were bringing in 220 grand a month. And it was phenomenal what we could do but it was the targeting that made the big difference so if you think about the clinical coders reading the clinical records and they're pretty much putting if you think about it I, I like a metaphor I quite like the cupcake metaphor so you okay. think you've got the cake I love metaphors yeah Tell so yeah. you think about the cake the clinical coders are beaving away they're working really hard they're working with under time constraints they're working with quite often very poorly documented clinical records that are quite ambiguous not that detailed but they're providing the cake part of the cupcake and then when you go through the audit we can then do as we audit it and we can provide the icing and the cherry and I haven't decided whether the cherry on top is the the, the clinical aspect or the software or the icing the cherry but basically that when we did our first contract both our targeting and our clinical input was equally valid so I guess I, I'm the cherry or the icing and you can pick and we were able to help you know you have to work with the team you've got to work with the coders got to work with the health information managers and then you have to inform the hospital exec that the the finance people in the hospital need to know what you're doing and what's your results uh, and then but I working and then you need to let the directors of clinical services the 
at the DMSs and the directors of nursing, they need to understand that the information that you're pouring in and that can end up in clinical governance situations. So we found, and really over the years, we've done all right. I think we've added around, just in South East Queensland alone, I, I added it up for a newspaper article a couple of years ago, and we've made $32 million for our clients just in southeast Queensland. I thought, well, that's not too bad. And But along the way, because I was resident in hospitals and I was going through records, I was asked to help in quality assurance. So I, I do clinical outcomes reviews, surgical reviews, and quality assurance reviews and medical legal reviews. So I can provide insights from that perspective. But what I saw was the interaction between the clinical information, getting into clinical coding, and then from there, feeding into the clinical governance system. So you had this beautiful triangle of better information, better funding, and then feeding into the quality assurance. And we've seen that improve healthcare. And this is all happening at this time where Queensland Health are bringing in the Vlads. Do you know about the Vlads? Uh, I don't think so. It, it's nothing no. to do with vampires. Okay. Okay, okay good. Uh, that is a good so thing. Vlad, and Vlad's a lovely short word to say variable life adjusted display. And, okay. Uh, right yeah, and that yeah. comes through, I think that's come through Clinical Excellence Queensland. And with the Vlads, there's statistical triggers. So people are watching, and, and I, in Queensland, they brought in, I think Stephen Duckett was in charge at the time bringing that in. I, I'm not sure, but you know, Stephen, he's a phenomenal health economist within Grattan Institute recently. And so they brought in the, the Vlads so they could monitor healthcare. And this was a reaction to Bundaberg, really poor outcomes up in Bundaberg. And so Queensland Health have a little graph and it tells you there's a blip on a graph to trigger a Vlad. And what, the good and the bad of what we did earlier, we were triggering more Vlads. So things like post-operative retention, post-operative bleeding, pressure sores and so on. And so they said, well, well is your data correct? And they said, oh, yeah, well, data is correct. We were missing these. And so the hospital was able to look at, well, where are the pressure sores coming from? Why are they coming from? Uh, we're looking at uh, the bleeds. Why is this bleed coming up? And why we get these infections? So they trigger reviews and had a look at it. And we're able to reduce the incidence of bleeds and infections and pressure sores. And that's the value of good data. It, you can use it to improve healthcare outcomes. And really, I, I got into that from I was escaping a huge shifts in ICU and a very stressful job to get a day job. And then I thought, oh, this will be okay doing the information for a little while. And then I realized that I was actually having a bigger impact mm. by working on the information than I was at the patient bedside, which was really a, a bit of a, a mind twister for me. And it's talking about it now, it, it makes me realize, yeah, like, and that's why I stayed doing what I was doing. There's this, I, I could earn a lot more money doing other things, but I was saying, on this, this is useful. Yeah, I think that's a great example of the power of data, as you say, and information in healthcare and going into it, focus and of it was potentially more financially driven from a hospital perspective of, well, let's implement this and see to make sure we're billing correctly or not losing money. But then in the end, as you say, there's lots of examples of how that, that feeds into quality. It, it is. And I think that there's other things, some of the surgical reviews I've been asked to do. Sometimes it'll be, uh, someone say, well, can you have a look at this? We're not happy about the outcomes of this particular procedure. Uh, and I'll have a look at that. And then you say, well, actually, what's the reason what's happening and you realize that it's, it's a triangulation not only because of the outcomes but also the finance people are driving it and so i'll have a look at the outcomes and usually you'll find that the outcomes are actually okay that in most hospitals in australia we have really good health care and personally i think australia we are the benchmark for hospital-based health care sadly most people you meet will have had a bad experience in hospital but the vast majority of work we do is done by people who are really working their asses off to do the right thing and people go very well and when you do a surgical review outcomes review you so yeah, we're within uh, published limits. This is quite a good review, but uh, and it can be helpful for the hospital to make a decision as well. Are we going to expand this service so we can reduce this service? And I've also helped surgeons from the outcomes reviews renew their 
professional indemnity because their results are really quite good. So and that's bringing everything again, and that affects I don't know. Looking at outcome reviews, it's a really good thing. You can give people clarity on what's really going on in their organisation. Super important. That makes a lot of sense in terms of making sure the the data is good and bits are being picked up and used effectively. Is that what what Medmin does? It, it, it's is it software? Is what, uh, yeah, it? we do, we do have a software platform. So we built a software platform initially. This was back, I think, our first one we built in uh, for our client hospitals in their business enterprise systems about two thousand and seven, and we got a cloud based system, built it in Oracle Cloud, starting in twenty eighteen, and that was with a backup of a knowledge transfer partnership grant from the. Queensland government, the Advanced Queensland, and in partnership with the University of the Sunshine Coast. And what we want to do there is we have activity-based funding audit targeting in there. And we've put everything we've learned over the years of 40,000 clinical records reviewed by doctors working with clinical coders and health information managers to know what sort of things are missing from where. So that gives us a very good targeting system for having efficient, effective optimization audits, giving the hospitals funding. But what I wanted to do as well, in order to target effectively financially, we're bringing in a lot of rich clinical coded data in ICD-10 codes. And I want to feed those back. Not only are we doing audits, we want to feed those back as insights for the hospitals. Because one of the things that came up talking to C-suite people that I know is that we haven't got a decent benchmarking system. And the benchmarking systems that are available are not particularly useful to us and they're very backwards looking. They come very late. So what I wanted to do was we give it your data. We'll tell you, well, go and review these records and you can make X number of dollars. But hey, let's compare. You've got X number of hospitals in the group. These two are the similar size. Let's compare their pressure sore rates. Let's uh, compare their post-op infection rates. What's your length of stay between these hospitals? What's your readmission rate? And we, so we're building that into our platform so that not only are we doing the activity-based funding targeting, we are feeding back really useful insights to our clients on those yeah. rates. And that's exciting because in the long run, I think what we're doing, you're going to have much better clinical information as AI gets into the electronic medical record and you get AI-assisted entry, then AI-assisted extraction. So the funding side will be sorting itself out, but then you'll just want to be having a look at, well, what information, what insights do I want to be getting from that information and can we feed that back into hospital services? So if you've got two hospitals in the group and they've got vastly different, uh, actually I'll talk about pressure sores because we invented two hospitals a few weeks ago and okay. uh, I, I'm going to give them names. I'll call one St. Elsewhere's and I haven't decided on the other one yet. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, we based... Uh, wait, wait, what do you mean you invented two hospitals? Well, we, we've got uh, our software engineer. I said, hey, look, we, we I ah. want to display our capability. I want to make some nice pictures for LinkedIn because people love pictures on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll usually put up a picture and say, what do you think of this? and people give me some great insights and things I just had not thought about. I think I know everything. And then I sort of think, my God, I know so little. There's so much more to know. Mm. Um, So what we did, we got the national data sets of hospitals, what what DRGs, what length of stays of the averages, what are the codes, and then we'd picked out all the hospital. Have you heard of hospital-acquired complications? It's something that the hospitals have to uh, measure and monitor. So there's a list of codes there. And so we've got two hospitals. They've both got 20,000 separations per year. And uh, their DRGs and length of stays are based on national averages. So you think that when you put them up, I, I was comparing a few things on them, just having a play with the system. And in, oh, MSTAT is our system that we use. And I, I might talk a little bit more about the name later, but made a picture and I compared it to hospitals. Oh, most of that's very similar because they're based on the same averages. But then I put up one, I looked at the two hospitals and I saw one of them, their pressure sore rate is just so much worse than the other. And I thought, oh my God, that's terrible. These poor 
imaginary (laughs) (laughs) but it's going to be a lovely one i'll put that up on linkedin and see if you were to have that pattern in your own hospital what would you do about it yeah okay so so being able to drill in and then uh you know make decisions based on the visibility that the data yeah i think so and track things over time and then we've got to look at well what uh, you know what what do our clients really want do they want just uh, basic rates do they want uh, percentages do they want other statistical analysis Mm. and then another thing you'll look at is your mortality rates if you're benchmarking hospitals what's your standardized mortality rate and i I think uh, last time i looked at it that was based on you had the charleston index so there's a complex healthcare index to decide what your mortality rate from certain DRGs should be, or DRG being diagnosis-related group. And then you've got to think, how are you going to measure that and how are you going to benchmark that? How are you going to compare that? So in, in a nutshell, our, our platform, what it's designed to do is to make it much easier for clinical coding auditors to pick out the records to review that's going to give their hospital bang for the buck at the same time as giving quality, safety, activity, benchmarking insights back to the C-suite and the quality and safety and whoever needs it, really. Super important. Mm. And you mentioned MSTAT was the name of the... MSTAT, yeah. So that's... uh, Do you want to know where we got the name from? Well, STAT sounds cool, doesn't it? It sounds like... You know, like stat, quick. Yeah, you mean so, like a, yeah, it's yeah, a while yeah. since I said adrenaline stat. Actually, in fact, I've never <laughs> said stat in panic. I've said adrenaline now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, they say that in the movies. That's about uh, it. Yeah, yeah, and that's we're in real panic. And, and I, all I can say is that particular instance I'm remembering, uh, the kid got better, but that was the most terrifying experience I, yeah. I've ever had. I was in the middle of nowhere, the only anaesthetist for two thousand kilometres, and we had the most horrendous injury. And I've, I've used that story to um, on, on talking when I've been talking about uh, clinician engagement for clinical documentation improvement specialist. Now, oh. I've lost the train of thought. <laughs> MSTAT, MSTAT. MSTAT, right. With the name. So M, yeah, yeah, MedMen, yeah. okay. Uh, and yeah. then we worked with the University of the Sunshine Coast with Mark Utting. He's a data wrangler and with Ming Zong Wang, who's he's an expert in machine learning. And then our own sorry, software engineer, Sam Teed. And then also the, the first system we made was with a guy called Alan Thompson, who's a developer in SAP business systems. So M stands for MedMen, Mark and Ming. Mm-hmm. S stands for Sam, yeah. T for T, A for Alan, T for Thompson. So it's MSTAT. There you go. Hey, look at that. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I just wanted to want it. You know, it, 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 this is not something that the whole business is, although I'm sort of the front man, there are so many people involved at so many levels. And I couldn't have done it without those guys. I couldn't have done it without, there's some health information managers who helped me very early on. There's also the Queensland Coding Committee I've worked with for years. They're now called the Clinical Coding Authority of Queensland. And then there's the people at the um, Clinical Coding Society of Australia. I've got some good friends there and doing a little bit of education with them in July. We've got the new standards coming out and there's the new Australian coding standards coming out. So there's been a lot of people involved that I've interacted with, you know, financial people. There's Dave, I think if he listens to this, I might send him the podcast. Thanks, David Hoswell. He's, he's been good as well. So people have really fed into helping me understand the hospital business systems, helping me understand clinical coding, helping me understand health information capture and the standards around that. And then all these different blockages on the way up to yeah. where to go from healthcare to the information that ends up in the computers that leads to funding and that leads to hospital planning and clinical services and patient experience. It's I can say it's a quagmire, and I'm going to go back to what you said at the beginning, deep in the weeds. Yes, we've been deep in the weeds, but I've not been alone. There's some really fantastic people that I've been interacting with over the years and uh, really enjoyed. And what I really love is when you start talking, our selling propositions, we can make you money because I know that there has to be a financial decision at the end of the day to get someone in. But really, when you talk to senior people in healthcare who are responsible for funding, 
but they really get the importance of the good data that leads to healthcare improvements. And I, I love it when they have those conversations with those people. I think you know it, it's a real pleasure when that happens. Yeah, that, that brings me to the so healthcare data. The bang on often the converse, depending what hat you're wearing, the conversation might come back to well, we need really good data so that we can aggregate it for public health, so we can decide what happens in this place or that. Or it might be because we need to create cool algorithms that can do some really fancy artificial intelligence, and without good data, we can't do cool AI. Other times it's about being able to sell it to pharma companies or, or other organizations and de-identify. So there's a big commercial opportunity that exists within data. I, I also feel like in the end, if it's not for patient outcomes, well, it's they're all reasons to get to that endpoint, but it's hard to put a business case around that sometimes, which sounds bizarre, but it's the, if we can go along that process to then in the end, hopefully have better data, which can result in better quality, healthcare, less error or more decisions made faster. Is that the end game, do you think? Is that the role of healthcare data? It has to be. The healthcare data, it has to be about, well, the first thing that comes to mind is patient outcomes. And then not only the outcomes, you've got to think about patient experience. And then you can go further back. You've got to think about, can we leverage that data to reduce the burden of disease in the first place? Can we prevent things? And then along with that, it was something they were pushing at the AIDH summit in Brisbane the other day. I think they were talking about, you've got to be able to reduce healthcare. So they they talk about, I think there were four quadrants. I I may be misremembering this, but it's what's stuck in my head. The four quadrants they're aiming for in digital health is reducing costs, improving outcomes, improving patient experience, and improving staff, healthcare worker experiences. And it was so good to see that because I'm going to quote Lewis Prider on this. I hope he doesn't mind. When he moved as chief medical officer from United Care Health down to down to Epworth, where he's the chief medical officer there, he said, just remember, look after each other so you can look after the patients. And that's really where the data goes. You, it's got to be about outcomes. It's got to be about reducing the burden of disease. It's got to be about experience. So I, I think with the outcomes, I've discussed that earlier, you get good data, you can measure what you're doing, you can look where the gaps are and you can change that. How that develops with patient experience, I'm not sure it's not really, I'd like to do more in that area, but I'm not really doing in that area with, with data. But then going back when we're looking at reducing burden of disease, not, what I really love about the power of this when we're moving into the area of AI and we get the natural language processing and we can get larger databases and we can apply those algorithms. So uh, when everybody's got an electronic medical record, be it the general practice or in the community, in the hospitals, wherever, we can have little bots reviewing those records and looking for different syndromes. And I know that I've had discussions with people about this and it's a very exciting area and it's starting to happen. Is that, so if you can go back, you know, we've just had this pandemic and it's really had a massive impact on the world. And, and some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's horrible. But if we were to go back a few years ago, back in Wuhan, I think that there was the young doctor, I, I, I forgot his name, I, but it's back in, I think he first saw, it was October, I think, in 2019 was the first case ended up in, in Wuhan. Now, we didn't hear about it globally. It wasn't really proper out until January, I think, was the WHO was talking about it. And that doctor, I think it was on WeChat, he was talking about it in November. But had we had our AI scanning those clinical records looking for a pattern, they'd have seen, hey, we've got a person here with a viral pneumonia, thinks the AI to itself. None of the viral tests of PCRs have come back positive. 
it's an atypical pattern. Let's have a look at the database. Like, well, that pattern was, you know, when we had SARS back in, when was that, uh, earlier this century, our first coronavirus pandemic that nobody seems to know about anymore. And it looks a bit like SARS. Maybe we've got another SARS outbreak. And then it'll check around the hospital and say, oh, we've got two upstairs, says the AI. And then if we can get global cooperation, which we have had a little bit recently, you could imagine that little AI could say, we may have some more SARS-type diseases here. Let's just flick this up to the WHO. It can go to, you know, Queensland Health. It can go to uh, the CDC. And then they can ring up the Wuhan Hospital and say, what are you doing about this? Uh, I mean, they'd need someone to man the phones, obviously, and you wouldn't want to go to the newspaper. (laughs) But you, you can have an alert that could at least be acted on locally and say, hang on, let's shut this down rather than let it run and then have political interference that delays. You know, you know, from October to January, mm. you look at Italy, two months, you've gone from nothing to massive lockdowns. And that's what happened in the UK. So you, you need, if you've got something that is a new disease that we are naive to, that's highly infectious, you've got to act straight away. There is no time. Yeah. And I think we're moving towards that point more and more and, and like less a conversation about AI and data in healthcare, less and less that's about removing the need for clinicians whatsoever. More and more we need conversations like this, which talk about the ability for it to do all of that underground work and surface the right information at the right time for clinicians and anyone and the people in the right positions to make the decisions in a more timely way to avoid issues before they arise. So I think that's a great example of the, the potential there. Yeah. So, all right. Does that answer your question about data? And anyway, that's <laughs> well, the other things actually, I was going to ask about data as well is, you know, you're looking at precision and personalized care, and we, we see that happening already. And so you get data on whether it's extracted from hospital or you, you've got personal data. We get the data from people, what's their environment like? We get the data from what's their genome like, and we can, that we can get data from what's the tumor like, and we can say, well, this tumor and this person will respond to that chemotherapy, and this tumor and that person, well, that's going to be hormone res- responsive. And then looking, I think what I'm really excited about is mental health, which is, you know, mental health is a massive burden of disease and it's a real hit Mm. on people's enjoyment of life, engagement in life. And then you've got the financial side's a big hit on the economy. And if we can get the personalized precision medicine, which we need that healthcare personal data to put that together, we can say, well, instead of someone, sure, you've got bipolar, but it's going to take us three years to get your perfect medication regime. You've got bipolar, but with this genome, with this environment, with this, perhaps even looking at the gut microbiome, well, we recommend this medication. And instead of suffering, not knowing what's going on for a year or two while your head's not in a good space, you've got on the right medication, you're stabilized within a couple of months. And I think things like that is that could just make such a big difference in people's lives. Absolutely. No, bang on. So Medmin, we talked about your two wonderful fictitious hospitals that are utilizing the platform. Other than that, in terms of where, where's the business at and who's utilizing it? Well, we, we, we're providers for a number of large hospital groups and for at least one state health group, which is great. But I think to have a, a bigger impact, we need to partner. And I think, and as you say, collaboration begins with a conversation. I've had some great conversations uh, here and with other health, talking health tech members and with uh, people around the healthcare and we're looking at well what can we do is do you have a software platform that we can fit into so you know you might be a management consultancy and you want to know well what's the you know you look at some of the big consultancies that will go into a hospital group or a health service and say well they're always looking at costings and we've had a lot of interest from that sort of group saying well we're always looking at costings but we're not looking at the revenue side can you help us with that so there's collaboration opportunities there and we collaborated with a good mate and Debbie Abbott up here um, in Queensland recently and she's got her own software platform which is 
say, clinical coding auditing, but doesn't have the, the targeting uh, capabilities or the, you know, the quality activity benchmarking that we can do and collaborating with her was great. So it's really looking at who can we collaborate with, who can we help and how can that have a positive impact in, in healthcare. That's really what I'm thinking about at the moment. Because it, it really is to, to stay in business, you really want to, you know, the thing that keeps me in business is when I see those positive impacts, I, I want to work with people in work that's having a positive impact and it's yeah, I guess that's us going forwards, I think. This is why I like you, David. Bang on. It's- <laughs> you, Peter. Always I love that your enthusiasm when I listen to you on your podcast. It's just great. It comes through loud, loud and clear and chatting offline oh. is always fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the offline conversations in this podcast, it could make a whole uh, series in itself. But uh, the and so lastly, then, you know, we've you, you mentioned a big focus on collaborations and partnerships moving forward. But, you know, what can we look forward to seeing from MedMin over the next 6, 12, 24? What's, what are the priorities? Look, I'd, I'd love to see uh, a lot more people using our software platform to help them, you know, in, improve their funding and giving them insights into um, benchmarking that's leading into better healthcare. That's really what I'd like to see. And just working with more people who are, who are interested in improving the funding, improving their information and improving healthcare, improving outcomes for their clients. That's, you know, get involved in that, deeper involved in that more of that. That's where I'd like us to be. Get amongst it. Yeah, no, look, I'll put the details for MedMin, David, in the show notes of this episode. You're in amongst the THT Plus community as well, so no doubt connecting with some members there. Thank you, David, for making the time in this conversation. Look forward to speaking with you as you continue on the journey inside and outside and on top of the bottle. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Peter, and I look forward to continuing to listen to more podcasts and connecting to the THT community. It's it's great. Love it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. <laughs>